Good morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are coming to the conclusion of this wonderful, wonderful little book here. As I mentioned earlier, we have uh, some folks visiting with us. Um, thank you for your presence. We are heading out as soon as uh, services are over with today. We're going to head in our sleigh and go down to Nashville and drop off some presents on our way to Atlanta, uh, drop off some more presents there, hug a few necks, and uh, maybe, hopefully, bring a few presents home with us. We'll see. Don't, no guarantee there, but, but maybe. Um, and then we're going to try to get back home in time to be back here uh, for our class on Wednesday night. I am so excited about this Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to get into uh, really some of the tools, the practical tools about how we um, enter the empty field and begin to share our faith and sow seeds of the gospel. So uh, please be back on Wednesday night. Uh, I know some of you probably have already made plans to be gone, and I guess that will be an excused absence. We'll give you a a note, but uh, if you can at all be here Wednesday night, we're going to hustle back from Atlanta to be to be back with you because I, I don't want to miss I don't want to miss that. We were talking last week there at the end of chapter four. There were those who were grieving in the church in Thessalonica, and they were grieving as if they. They had no hope. They were grieving like the rest of the men uh, who have no hope. And so Paul was trying to assure the, the brethren there that if there were brothers and sisters in Christ who had died, who had passed on, that they weren't going to miss out. When, when Jesus returned, these brothers and sisters who were asleep, who had passed on, they weren't going to miss out on anything. In fact, they were going to be leading the way. They were going to be leading the procession when Jesus returns. They got dibs. You remember uh, last Sunday? They've got dibs. They're going to be riding shotguns. So they're not going to miss out on anything. And we were talking about this idea uh, of secularism, the idea that everything is just here and now. There's really no thought to to the life hereafter, but all of our, our thoughts and, and, and energies are placed into this life, the material, the secular, um, and because of that secular belief, it brings about two things. It brings about hopelessness when all this life is all there is. There, there's a hopelessness that that brings, but there's also an immorality that that brings. And that's what we're going to talk about and look at here in chapter 5. Chapter 5, we see something of this immorality. And Paul says that the real problem is not those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. The real problem are those who live in darkness. Let's look at our text this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. Now, brothers, 
about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Excuse me. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Verse 1 and 2. Brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. They had been instructed very well in the day of the Lord. Paul knows that because he's the one who has taught them. He's brought that instruction to them. The day of the Lord, it's a very prominent theme in the Old Testament. It's a day in which God will make himself perfectly known to all of the world. He'll complete his work. That great day when at times it looks as if all of creation will just dissolve. There'll be earthquakes, fire, smoke. The sun is darkened. The stars vanish. God's people are delivered from their enemies. Hypocrites will be sifted out from among God's people. It is final. God's rule is finally revealed. The wicked will enter into punishment. God's grace to his people reaches its fullness. It's the end of that that age, the end of the seculum, if you will, the Latin, the seculum, that age. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is really talking about God's judgment. Oftentimes that judgment uh, would come upon his own people, upon Israel, when when God would show up and judge uh, their wickedness. Oftentimes they were carried off into captivity. And and sometimes the day of the Lord would refer to uh, that time when God would come and deliver his people and punish uh, the enemies of God's people. In the New Testament, however, we see that this day of the Lord is the return of Christ. Paul says, you've been instructed about all of this. We don't need to write to you about the when of it all. So those who are outside of Christ are not only hopeless, but they're also clueless about all of this stuff now. Ignorance about the coming age will lead to surprise. Look at verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. They're surprised. Why, why do you 
Why do you go to church? I mean, oftentimes when we think about why, why do we come here? Well, there's a, a myriad of reasons why we come together. We come together to sing songs of praise to God. We, we come as we just, just did to gather around the table to, to remember the great sacrifice about what Jesus has done for us. We come together to encourage one another, to spur each other on, to love and to good works. There's a lot of reasons why we come together. One of the reasons we come together is to hear the word of the Lord taught, to, to hear the word of the Lord expanded on. Why? So that we will not be surprised when the day of the Lord comes. So that we'll be prepared so that we will not be ignorant about that day. Their ignorance and surprise will ensure their destruction. The day of the Lord, it says, will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying, peace, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. They may talk about security, but, but they don't have it. Calamity will come upon them. It will overtake them. All at once, it says, everything that seems so peaceful, everything that seems so secure in their lives will crumble beneath the weight of the Lord's return. Utter Destruction will replace everything that they thought was so safe and so secure. And then Paul says in very chilling words, he says, they will not escape. They will not escape. Their ignorance now leads to lives marked by spiritual slumber by drunkenness. You know, back in chapter 4, he says about those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that's just an idiom for those who have died, for those who have, who have passed on. But now in chapter 5, when he talks about asleep, he's not talking about those who have died. He's talking about those who are still alive, who are, who are awake. But he says their ignorance is like a stupor. It's like a drunkenness. Look at verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Paul says there in verse 6, they are asleep. How ironic is that? He says they're as if they are asleep. Many are involved uh, and they're, they're being with their families. They're very involved uh, in their jobs. They're taking kids to, to soccer practice and ballet and dance and jazz and tap, and they're involved in PTA, and they're going here and there. All the things that the world has, they're involved in those things. Surely they would think of themselves as, as awake, as aware, very important people very successful men and women in their jobs, in their businesses, climbing the corporate ladder, looking for the next promotion. But, but Paul says 
to all of this that is certain, the day of the Lord, when it comes, it's as if they're asleep. It's as if they are in a drunken stupor. Go back to verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of light, sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Why does he say that we don't belong to the darkness? Look at verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. He uses this word self-controlled a couple of times. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see the the connection between alertness and self-control. There's a connection there. We study the word. We see the truth. We know the times in which we live. Being awake leads to being self-controlled. Children of the light are awake. They are alert. They are aware. What are children of the light awake and aware and alert to? What is it that we are alert to? that there is a day coming. There is a day of the Lord that is coming. This day of the Lord is the motivation of what Paul says here to being self-controlled. That's why we're self-controlled. Why? Because there's a day of the Lord coming. They are to watch They are to be sober because they know that there's something that is coming. Jesus said in John 8, Landon referenced this earlier, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So walking in darkness, being spiritually asleep, is what happens to you when you don't realize that the day of the Lord is coming. But when you do realize he's coming, as these believers in Thessalonica did, not only are you not surprised, but as sons of the day, we should be living in the light of that knowledge right now, even now. Spiritually awake people know how to be self-controlled, to be dressed with faith, to be dressed with love, to be dressed with hope because they know shortly that they will have to give an account. Those who are asleep spiritually, those who are ignorant of the coming day of the Lord will live in spiritual sleep, a drunken stupor, with lives knowing no control, Because they think they won't have to give an account of their lives right now, they think this life is all that matters. This life is all there is. 
If, think about this for a moment. If God never brought about judgment, if God in his forbearance just continued forever and ever and ever to never bring judgment upon mankind. You know, Peter talks about that, that, that God is patient. The reason that God has not returned, uh, the reason that Jesus has not come back, the reason that the day of the Lord has not happened yet is because God is patient. Why is God patient? Because he wants more people to respond. He wants more people to come to know him. He wants more people to hear the gospel and to, to be sorry for their sins and to, and to repent and to put the Lord on in baptism. God wants more and more people to come to him through faith, to put their hope in Jesus Christ. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about on Wednesday nights, so that we'll be people, children of the light, so that we'll go out and sow those seeds, be able to, to teach people the gospel so that more people can hear it and more people can come to repentance. That's why the day of the Lord has not come. But what if that day of the Lord never came? What if God never brought judgment? How then would people live? Well, it's pretty obvious how a lot of people would live because they're living that way right now. They, they have no thought to the day of the Lord coming. In fact, they don't believe there's a day of the Lord coming. But think about you. How would you live if you knew there was no day of the Lord? That there was never going to be an account that you would have to give to God for the way that you live. How then would we live? Would we be here today? Would we be here on a Sunday morning worshiping God if, there were, if we were never going to have to give an account of our lives to him? Do your head like this. <laughs> you'd be sleeping in. You'd probably be sipping your second or third cup of coffee with a big cinnamon roll right about now. You wouldn't be here. If we never had to give an account, how would we live? Why would we do anything good? The Russian novelist Dostoevsky said, without God, everything is permitted. Without God, everything is permitted. People who are spiritually asleep live. I mean, they're alive. They, they're walking amongst us every day. But if they have no idea that they must give an account for their life, what kind of life will they live? As Christians, we ought to live our lives in a way that says we know that we must give an account We should know what we're living for. And that should be reflected in all that we do, everything that we say. Your life every day by what you choose to do and not do points to the hope that you are living for. And that's a good thing to ponder. That's a good thing for you 
to think about and to discuss over lunch today. I want you to ask someone, what are you living life in expectation of? Why do you do the things you do? Now, I want you to ask it in love, in all sincerity, and I want you to think about, about the same. What hope is motivating you? Why are you living the way you're living? Think about that. We need to, um, we need to conclude, don't we? Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. That, man, that just, to, to a man who has fallen short of the glory of God so many times, that, that, just, that just, it sounds like music to my ears. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, as in fact you are doing. Paul says, the future looks really good for you. He's writing to Christians, you understand. He says, the future is very bright for you. Not wrath, not the terror of eternal judgment, but salvation. The final victory will be ours. And even now is good, he says. Even now. Verse 10, Jesus died so we may live together with him. Then, but also now. Eternal life begins right now for those of us who are in Christ. It's not just something that we're waiting for. It's not just then and there that we're, that we're looking forward to. We get to experience eternal life right now. If we're in Christ, if we're people of the light, walking in that light. We have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, John says, continually cleanses us of all of our sins. We are not to be unalert, surprised then, or uncontrolled now. So we, we have the high calling of living with the Lord now and also forever. I want to point this out to you. I think you noticed, but I, want to, I just want to highlight it. The way that the end of chapter 4 ends, Paul says, Therefore, encourage each other, each other with these words. Encourage each other to hope because there was the possibility that they were, were grieving as people that had no hope because they thought 
the dead in Christ, we're going to miss out. He says, encourage each other to hope. And then this morning, verse 11, he says, therefore encourage one another. Encourage each other to morality. To morality. Why? Because the day of the Lord is coming. And we want to be ready. Early one morning in 1833, a young boy, he was very frightened. He ran to his mother yelling, the world is coming to an end. The stars are falling. Startled from her sleep, the mother rushed to the window and said, Thank God, I am ready. Apparently what they saw was one of the most remarkable meteor showers that's ever occurred. In fact, one observer was recorded as saying that he, he never saw snowflakes thicker in a storm than there were meteors in the sky at some moments that night. No sound was heard. Apparently, none of them ever reached the ground. But it was recorded that people everywhere fell on their faces thinking that the end of the world had come. And what did that mother say when she contemplated the end of the world? She said, thank God. I am ready. Thank God I am ready. Are you ready? Are you living for the day of the Lord, knowing that you must give an account? Not out of fear, not out of uh, being scared of judgment, but out of anticipation to look upon the face of the Lord, <laughs> to say thank you to the one who took your place. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Comfort and encourage each other with these words. Thank God I am ready.